Would you join with me and let's welcome Bishop Randy Wooden as he comes to preach the Word of God this morning at Pulaski Church of God. Thank you, Pastor Donald. It's an honor to be with you, and it's an honor to be at the Pulaski Church of God. Wow, what a wonderful day. I don't know about you, what makes the place that we worship a special place is when the presence of God shows up. And the presence of God has showed up today because of the worship. Thank you, Pastor Tony, for taking us into the present with the team today. I was blessed. I, would, I could have just stayed there. When we got to talking about the King of Glory, fill this place, just want to be with you. I'm just like, yeah, that's it. When you get in that spot, you don't want to leave. Because in that spot, things happen in a special way. Can somebody say amen? It was indeed an honor to be with the men yesterday and had a great time and just uh, just so blessed. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough uh, for knowing your pastor and his wife, uh, known them, been in the state now, uh, was in the state for over 32 years, was uh, probably 32, 33 years ago, went to Independence, which is about 50 miles from here, all went up toward Grace and Highlands, spent our first two years and little did I know, and I'm not from Virginia, that this would really become a big part of my life, my kids. I've left my grandkids and my kids here. It's an honor to have them today. And my wife and I have been blessed to be in Virginia. But Pastor Don, uh, what can I say, but uh, you have got one of the greatest Pentecostal gospel preachers in the state of Virginia. He is indeed a preaching man. Not only that, great pastor has a heart for people as well as just committed to seeing God do great things. He has a heart to see the move of God. And I believe God is going to use the church in these last hours. Uh, Sandra, I tell you, you will not have a more committed woman of God who is not only committed to her husband but committed to you. And she prays and she's uh, the kind of person, if you really want to know what somebody's thinking and you get to know her, she'll tell you what you're thinking. She tell you the truth. You may not always like it, but you know where she stands, and I appreciate that. But uh, they are such a blessing, and of course, Don's parents, brother and sister Jones. Brother Jones was on my council, and one of my elders at my church, uh, probably all the way up to about three or four years ago, he finally retired off of the council with reluctance. I didn't want him to, but what a great leader both of them were in our ministry. Did nursery ministry, servant ministry, leadership ministry. And, of course, Pat and her husband before he passed, Doug. Uh, boy, what great servants. I was so honored to have such some great people of God. And I don't know about you, but do you realize your church family becomes like your family? Really? And when you worship with people, they become close to you, and you're so grateful for them. So thank you, and thank you for the honor to be here in this beautiful sanctuary in this building that I believe God is going to use for you to reach hundreds of people for the cause of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? Glory to God. Hallelujah. So thank you for the opportunity, Pastor, and I pray God is going to speak to us. There's been a little bit of warfare going into this uh coming into this week in my own spirit and in my own man and it makes me realize pastor tony even in the warfare that you're going through a little bit that god may be up to something that's a little bit bigger today and i really feel on assignment today i don't necessarily just i'm grateful because i have a relationship with your pastor and he asked me to come to do the men thing and to come and preach but i really feel god has got a word today right before i do that i want to just share a little bit of a funny story that i heard about communication 
kind of loosen us up a little bit and get me a little more comfortable as I get into this. But clear communication, we all know, is essential. How many's ever sent a message to somebody and you meant it one way and they received it a different way? Has that ever happened to anybody? Usually that happens in emails or texts and you're like, what? And then you say, what did you say? No, I didn't mean it that way, especially if you're using one of those voice-activated things. I got a text in the middle, and it was like midnight one time, and I, I decided I'm going to hit the verbal thing, and I replied to the person. Well, the next morning when I got up, I read that thing, and I laughed for five minutes and realizing what it had told that person. I had to call him and say, I'm so sorry. I don't say things like that. And, and of course, you can get in a lot of trouble. But in this particular story, there was a couple from Minneapolis who decided to enjoy a long weekend in sunny Florida to thaw out after a particularly frigid winter. Because both of them had busy careers, they found it impossible to coordinate their travel schedules, so they decided the husband would fly to Florida on Thursday and she would go down the following day. Upon arriving as planned, he checked into the motel. Once he was in his room, he opened his laptop and he sent his wife a brief message back to Minneapolis through email. However, he accidentally left off one letter in her email address and sent his message without realizing the error. Well, in Houston, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. He had been a minister of the gospel for many years, and he was suddenly called home to glory after a heart attack. Lonely, hoping to find some comfort and condolence messages from a few of her relatives and friends, the widow sat down to check her email. Upon reading the first email, she fainted and fell on the floor. Her son rushed into the room, found her mother unconscious on the floor, and glanced at the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife, from your departed husband. Subject, I finally arrived. I just arrived and have been checked in. Everything went very well and smoothly after my departure, and I have also verified that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. P.S. It sure is hot down here. Well, communication sometimes can get a little messed up, can't it? Thank you, Pastor Tony. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Well, I pray today I'll be able to communicate a little more clear to that and that we will not make many mistakes, but God will speak to us. Well, we're living in different hours, aren't we? You know, sometimes we're even pressed to try to explain and define the hours that we're living in. And, of course, when I look to the Word, I have to realize we are living spiritually in some of the greatest hours, according to the word, that in the last days, he said, I will do what? I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. My sons and daughters will prophesy. My young men will see visions, and my older men will dream dreams. And I will just stop to tell you that I believe the catalyst that God has chose to use in this last hour is the local church to bring about revival, to bring about restoration. But yet at the same time, we live in the worst 
of times, especially yesterday when I was sharing with the men some of the things that are invading us. And are, we're in a day that at times people are confused about God and even confused about what their genders are and confused about what's really going on. And sometimes I have a hard time expressing what is really going on. And then I look at the Word and I can tell you that the Word probably can explain it a little better when it said, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves, boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient to parents and unthankful and unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal and despisers of good, traitors and heady and high-minded and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And denying is said in having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. When I begin to think about this, without a doubt, we live in a different place than we've ever lived before. We even have to ask the question, is America any longer a Christian nation? I want you to pause on that one for a moment. And yet the realization of all of this is that we are in a war in the culture called America of who's going to win that war today. Because whoever has the minds of the people are those who are going to develop the culture. And if we're not careful, instead of the church being the influencer and influencing them with the message of the kingdom of God, rather we're being influenced and our minds are being changed and even things that once uphold us are now become normalized in our thinking and in our thought process and we begin to ask the question is that really even wrong anymore in December when Pastor Don called me I think it was December and asked me about coming to preach and attending the prayer conference that was supposed to be here and I canceled it I was so excited about that and but I when I got off the phone I know when the Spirit of God speaks to immediately when I got off the phone, the Holy Spirit spoke one word into my life. And he spoke this word, he spoke the word trauma. And I didn't even know exactly what God was trying to say, except that I believe that as I get into the message today, that there are going to be some people that God is going to peel off something in your life and is going to heal an area that's been traumatized, maybe even years back, that God is going to reach in and bring restoration. Matter of fact, today I'm going to be talking about the Word. And the title of my message and my assignment today is basically this thing of from trauma to restoration. From trauma to restoration. Now let me define trauma first of all. Trauma is the response to a deeply, what I call distressing and disturbing event that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope, causes feelings of helplessness, diminishes their sense of self and their ability to, what I call, feel a full range of emotions and experiences. It does not discriminate. And it's pervasive throughout our world. I meet people, I meet ministers, I meet leaders, I even just meet the regular Joe at times, who, as I talk with them and get to know them, I realize how that something in life has somehow impacted them, and sometimes for the negative, it has impacted them. Let's go on. While there is no objective criteria to the evaluate which events will cause this post-trauma, what I call symptoms, circumstances typically involve the loss of control, be 
betrayal, abuse of power, helplessness, pain, confusion, and even loss. Traumatic events that cause what I call this post-traumatic Syndrome. Some would even call it PTSD, which is not just soldiers anymore that are being affected by PTSD, but it's even people who are being traumatized by the results of sin or the results of the pain and the hurt of relationship or even the ongoing abuse that people find themselves in. When we try to even define the culture that we're living in and we begin to say, we want to reach the harvest, do we really know what we're asking for? Because we have a harvest today that much of the harvest that is outside the doors of our church is a damaged harvest. People whose lives have been literally devastated by what we call a broken world. How many know we live in a broken world? Literally, the systems of the world are broken. It doesn't, you know, of course, it's easy to get on our what I call hobby horses, so to speak, and talk about Washington and political, just the political upheaval and the things that have happened even in some of the major cities and, and the riots. I just, I'm baffled at times of thinking, why do people think the way they think? But what I realize today is Part of the reason for that is they are broken people looking for a source and looking for something. And I'd like to stop and tell you today that I still believe the church is the answer and the people of God have the answer. And I'm praying somehow, some way that God is going to help us to rise up in this hour to make the impact that God has called us to make. But the difficulty is this. There are many people who are on the inside of the walls of the church that have been through traumatic experiences, who have been through trauma, who have been through hurt. A lot of times, as I've shared with leadership over the years, I've talked about how that we all in our lives are much like a bucket. Things get dumped into our bucket, pain and hurt and shame and disappointment and guilt and, and self-condemnation and anger and sadness. And the list could go on and on of the things that get deposited into our lives. But if we as believers and we as people don't have a venue to pour what's in our bucket out and allow the Holy Spirit to be poured in to bring about healing, guess what happens? Many lives begin to be able to see things happen in their life. Anger outbursts start happening. People go to the doctor needing medicines to help them to cope with what's going on. Others turn to areas of alcohol, and others turn to pornography, and others turn to areas. And all of a sudden, you see these outward manifestations say, well, they've got some problems. But what we don't realize is the problem is not what's going on outwardly. It's what's happened inwardly. And somehow, we have got to allow the Holy Spirit to come into those moments to bring about healing. And I really believe this. If the church gets healed, they will become a dynamic of wounded healers that is going Going to make a difference in these last days. Today I want us to talk about moving from trauma to restoration. I really believe there are going to be some people listening to me by way of media, but there's going to be some people in this house today that you're going to be given a choice today for God to heal you in a place that you've not allowed God in because you just simply said, I'm okay. That was in the past. I'm okay, don't bother me. 
Let's go to the scripture, and I'm going to go to 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. And we're going to start with the first eight verses. Now it happened. When David and his men came to Zitblag, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Zitlag and attacked Zitlag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those that were there from small to great and did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinamah, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. For the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Then David said, to Abiathar, this priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring me the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For I shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Now, could I just ask you, and before I get into the meat of this message, to put your hand over your heart, and you would just prepare for what God is wanting to do in your life. So, Father, I pray that you allow my words to be anointed. I can't do this without you. I don't pretend I'm anything. But I'm asking, Lord, that you will open our hearts to what I believe is a rhema word for this hour. And Lord, you will speak to your people. And God, you will do what you have ordained in this house, God, that has been ordained from the foundation of the earth. And I pray that it will be so in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. What do you do on the worst day of your life? What do you do when trauma takes place in your life? This perhaps was probably David's worst day that he had ever experienced. They say it was about the year 1012 B.C., and David was about 29 years old. And in 29 years, David had lived a life of adventure. When he was a teenager at the age of 15, the prophet Samuel came into the house of Bethlehem and anointed him to be the future king of Israel. And a few months later, David was thrust into instant fame when he killed Goliath, the champion warrior of the Philistines in the Valley of Elam. 
after a stunning, what I call, triumph over Goliath. David left the sheepfolds of his father Jesse and became a member of the royal household of King Saul. And Saul made David the commander of his armies. And David led the armies of Israel in one victory after another. As this darling warrior, David, became a national hero of the Israelites. But it was until paranoia set in on King Saul that he became jealous. And David's tremendous success and popularity, King Saul sought to kill David. David ran for his life, hiding from Saul and his soldiers. At one point, David had opportunity to kill Saul at a Yeti. I would think anyone who was after you and wanted to kill you, you would be justified in killing them. Would you say amen? But yet the Bible says David chose rather not to kill him. I like what a quote said in one of my favorite books in the tale of three kings when it says, David did not kill him because he said, if I kill him, I will become just like him. Sometimes it's easy for us to want to get back at somebody who hurt us. We want to be justified. But what we don't realize is the same spirit that hurt us can get on us and hurt us worse if we operate in the flesh and not the spirit. I just thought I would throw that in. David was forced to leave the royal household and roam in the hillsides of Judea with his mercenary band of 600 men. For several years, David and his men had fought the Philistines while expanding and securing the battle and securing the borders of Israel. During this time, David waited for the fulfillment of Samuel's prophecy that he would become the next king. David and his men had come and they were come from battle on their way to Zitlag in the southern part of Judea to go home that day. David and his, and his family, along with his men and their families, had been living in Zitlag for about one year and four months. Not much had transpired. Let me define, first of all, before I get into this, is what is Zitlag? Zitlag was an interim place for David. It was not Bethlehem, the beginning of where he started, nor was it Jerusalem and the place that was ultimately his destiny. But Zitlag was somewhere in between. All of us have spent some time in Zitlag. It's not where we've come from, and yet it's not where we're going, but we just happen to find ourselves in this place called Zitlag. Zitlag was a place of transition. One of the hardest things about pastoring that I probably struggled with at times more than anything was continually knowing that transition was happening. And I didn't always like all the transition. It was almost like God at times was causing transition. And then there were other people who were trying to bend it because they wanted things to be their way. But yet I'm realizing sometimes you feel like you're in this place called Zitlag. Zitlag was a place of patience waiting located between what I call prophecy and destiny. 
There's some of you sitting here today. There's things that have been prophesied over your life. There's things that God has spoken, and yet you're thinking, well, maybe it's just not meant to be, or maybe it'll never happen. But I'd like to declare to you, if God says something, you can take it to the bank because God is not a man that he can lie, but God is able to do what God is able to do. And I declare to you that it might be today that God's getting ready to move you out of zit lag and move you into the place of his divine destiny hmm. the men returned from war and as they entered into Zitlag they were horrified by what they saw the city had been attacked ransacked set on fire and every home destroyed through the broken sobs of some of the survivors David was able to piece together what had happened in this raid of several thousand Amalekites riding on the camels they attacked the city and they took the wealth and the women and the children and they set it on fire. And swiftly as they had come, they were gone and taking everything that they had worked for and had, they took it away and Zitlag was left in ashes. That was probably one of the most traumatic days in David's life. Think about it, how bad it must have been that your wives, your children, everything you have is gone in a moment. Have you ever had bad days? Have you ever had a day where you have had bankruptcy and your home burned down and you had, a, you had terrorists kidnap your family? Well, some of you may have had certain elements of that take place, but probably not to that extent. But when I look at the Word and I begin to think about this, I think about each one of us at times have had bad news come to our households. The loss of a loved one. The loss of a job. A situation that seems like instead of being able to feel like you're moving into breakthrough, you're breaking down. And I don't know about you, sometimes if we're not careful, life can break us down. Come on. How many are living the same world I'm living in? I know as a pastor of pastoring 36 years and being in ministry for 40 years, I don't necessarily stand here as a novice, but I can tell you there's been some trauma myself, and I've had to ask God, God, and I don't know about you, but even over the past week as I was privately trying to process knowing I was going to come to the pulpit this morning, God was still doing some work in my life of saying, yes, there's been some trauma, but I don't just heal halfway. I heal totally when I bring restoration. So, honestly, I've kind of been in this message this week, and I pray that I'm going to try to bring you into it in the next few moments. The thing that I'm so fortunate is you got such comfortable cheers that encourages a preacher to preach longer. <laughs> and if it is not comfortable, go to another row. I heard that there's different kinds of seating in this place. Wow. That's fancy. Come a long way from my wife getting her nice leather coat that we went into ministry, sat down on one of our pews, and it was one of them old wooden pews, and some of the slats pinched it, and when she got up, it tore the back side of her whole leather coat out. You remember that? Yeah. Thank God for cheers like this. <laughs> we come a long way, baby. Oh. <laughs> uh. What I realize is I thank God for David's response today. Because in his response to the trauma of that disaster, we find a pattern for recovery that I believe God is going to speak to us. 
The first point I want to make, first of all, that trauma will cause pain. And I put there a time to weep. In the fourth verse, it said, And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. David had 600 men that were with him. And these, I don't know about you, it's always a hard thing to see a man go through trauma and literally put his hands. And I've seen men who have broke down and literally cried till they're bowed over and they're crying. But the Bible said they cried till they had no more strength to weep. I believe there is events in our life that can become so traumatic that will cause us to cry. Some of those are events that are, we are blindsided by. Some events happen out of the blue. Sometimes somebody's taken out of our lives that we were not expecting through a car crash or, or through some other type of trauma. But when that trauma comes and when that event happens, we usually enter to, into that event with our emotions. Matter of fact, when I begin to realize that the emotions affected by trauma can be many times, many what I call different facets it can be depression it can be anger it can be tears it can be suppression it can be uh, revenge it can be wrong attitudes and motives but what i realize is that is there are things that are affected but it's a healthy thing at times when an event happens to us that we take time to grieve it i'm gonna ask a question and you can answer this in your own way, in your own spirit, person. But some of the events that some of you have been through, whether they have been family trauma, whether they have been relational trauma, whether they have even been church trauma, were you adequately, adequately able to weep and grieve over it. You might say, well, why, wh what's that got to do with anything? Well, the scripture says in Matthew 5 and 4, blessed is he who mourns. Blessed is he who grieves, for he shall be comforted. There's nothing greater than have somebody who's a comforter in your life who will allow you to talk about an event of pain in their life so that they can weep and cry, and the other person is not there trying to fix them. Now, I'm a husband, and I love my wife dearly. We've been married 42 years, but I'm always wanting to fix her. If something's wrong, I'm, I'm going to get my hat out, and I'm going to get my tools out. I'm going to fix you, baby. But sometimes she doesn't need me to fix her. Sometimes all she needs me to do is hold her. Sometimes all she needs me to do is listen to her. I'm, it took me 42 years to understand that. I'm getting better, but sometimes I still, in the middle, I'm, I'm going to fix her. There's some of you sometimes want to fix some things, but sometimes all we need to do is cry and weep and let the pain out so that we allow the Holy Spirit to come in. But what happens so many times is there's a lot of individuals who never get to the place that they're allowing the pain of trauma to get in them and they have no way of getting it out of them. Now this is probably not going to be one of them sermons you get up and start shouting over right at the beginning. Because it's never fun to grieve. But yet there are some losses that happen in our life. It is necessary for us to grieve if we're going to be whole. 
There's a scripture in the Bible. I think it's found in Thessalonians. He said, brethren, he said, I would have you to be whole, spirit, soul, and body. This is another message, but I will tell you that God wants his people to be whole. He wants them to be whole spirit. In, in the spirit, we are whole. Everything's 100% in the spirit, but get it into the soul. It is in the soulish realm, which is our will and our emotions and our mind. It is that place that sometimes we have to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and allow us to say, yes, I'm mourning and, and I am weeping and I am, I am just overwhelmed with what I have been through. But it's in those moments that the scripture says that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning or he will turn my morning into dancing but the difficulty for many people they're never able to process that they just let it get into them and they just say well I guess I just live with that place the second point is trauma will cause blame don't get bitter forgive the sixth verse said and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. I want you to notice these words. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. This has to be somebody's fault that happened. Sometimes it is somebody's fault. But after crying, the men ceased from their weeping and begin to point their fingers saying it is our leader that has caused this and yet it is in this that they became bitter and the bible said that their soul did you notice the word their soul of the people was grieved their emotions i'm going to tell you uh, whether or not we like it or not we are emotional people we respond that's where the reason i love being pentecostal we, we can be emotional. We can allow the Spirit of God to work through us. And if, if the Spirit comes, we can dance and we can celebrate. And that's a wonderful thing. But what I find in life and in the trauma, things happen. And instead of, instead of moving to a place that we allow it to get out of us, we just continue to put it in us. And there is a lot of people, and I have met a lot of church people, Somebody said that they had their gun with them this morning in case I wasn't doing a good job, so I hope this doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> it was your rock gun or something. I don't remember exactly. And they were joking. We laughed. But I will tell you, there is a lot of bitter people sitting in Church of God pews. People who blame others. Well, it was their responsibility. They, they should have never done that. Sometimes bitterness will cause and will become a pathway that leads to a heavy weight that literally becomes an oppression of our lives that manifests itself usually through the seed of offense. Every time you hear that person's name or you see them from a distance, something rises up in you. I've been there. Have you ever been there? The difficulty is that many who have experienced even church trauma many of times don't want anything to do with church. Well, that's what church is like. I don't want anything to do with it. And there's some of you who know people like that. That are people that are in the church who yet did not like what happened, yet are bitter inside, and they lose their joy and fulfillment, and yet just go and do the religious thing. Let me just stop right here and tell you, I'm sorry today. 
and I don't know, but I felt this when I was praying this week, to simply say, please forgive any minister or any leader or anything that has happened. Life is too short to hold on to it because God is wanting to do something in this last hour, and He cannot do it if there's bitterness in our life. There's always enough blame to go around. I've been in toxic Pentecost. I've been through church splits. I've been through those things at times that you're thinking, God, I'm going to lose my mind if I don't get through this. But I can also tell you on the other side of it that there is a power of restoration that God wants to pour out on his people to bring about healing if we will allow him to do so. Hallelujah. My prayer is today that you will be able to release that and be able to see your joy restored. The third thing that I realized that David did is trauma will require encouragement. Thank God when the church is at its best, when a tragedy takes place. Thank God for the body of Christ when the Bible said when one weeps, we all weep. When one celebrates, we all celebrate. There's something to be said about that, and I love the church. But in the midst of this, David had to make a choice. But the Bible said in the sixth verse, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you ever have to encourage yourself? How many of you are here and you're good encouragers of yourself? You can make it. You're going to do it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't care, oh devil, who you are and what you've tried to do. You just get behind me because you have no right. Because I am a believer and I have been washed with the blood of Jesus. The word of God is in my life and I am going to make it through the grace of God. You know what I believe David did? Is it just possible because David was the sweet singer of Israel and he encouraged himself? Is it just possible that he pulled out one of the Psalms and started singing it? Maybe he pulled out Psalms 34 and he started saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He said, my soul will make boast of the Lord and the Lord. He said, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered delivered me from all my fears. The angel of God encamp around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, for blessed is the man who trusteth in the Lord. Is it just possible that David encouraged himself in what he knew and what had already got him where he was, was the might of the Lord? Let me just stop right here and tell you that no matter what has happened, we can't lose our praise. We can't lose the ability to lift up hands. Oh, yes, there's always going to be somebody like Job's wife. Why don't you just curse God and die? Well, what does Job do? He said, yet through the pain and yet through the loss and yet through the anguish, yet through the trauma, I am yet going to bless the name of God Almighty. Somebody seems to lift their hands in this house right now and just bless him. Just say, I bless you. Yes, it's not been easy, but Lord, I bless you and I praise you because you are worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. The fourth thing I realize in this word is trauma to restoration will require getting a word from God. 
I believe that the word is from God today, and I believe there's going to be some people who receive it. But what I realize in this story is David went to the Lord, and he inquired of the Lord in the midst of the traumatic situation. On the outside, there are those speaking about getting rid of him and stoning him. But on the inside, he realizes a leader, i got to find out what is God doing in this situation. Does God cause trauma? No. Does everything that happens to us really go through God's hands? I believe that. But yet it is sometimes some people work out in the flesh, and unfortunately God gets pushed out of the side, and trauma happens as a result in family matters or in marriages. And a lot of times we take matter into our own hands. Anybody know anybody who's ever done that? Somebody gets the attitude, well, I just don't care. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And many a times it's usually those kinds of situations that cause us to have our own word and not God's word. But I want you to notice here that the Bible said in the 7th and 8th verse, and then, J, and then David said to Abiathar the priest, please bring me the ephod here. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, he has a word, recover all. Now when Abiathar came to David and said to the priest, He said, bring me the ephod. Now, the ephod was the garment of the prophet or the, the, or the priest. You might ask, why, why would David ask for the garment of the priest? I mean, he could have said, would you bring the ephod but wear it and come into where I was, whether he had separated. Somehow I just get this picture in my mind that David had separated himself from the people and those who wanted to stone him and got alone to find out he needed a word from God. Let me just tell you, most of the time, an intimate word of God is not going to be found in public settings. It is going to be set in a place of privacy and intimacy with God. But he said, please bring me the ephod. The ephod was that garment that the priest wore. But yet here, David chose, I want you to notice something David did first of all. David chose to cover himself in the midst of the trauma with the right thing. Would you stop right there? What do you choose to cover yourself and I don't know about you, I, believe, I still believe in the covering of authority. I still believe in the covering of a church. I always struggle with people say, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do ministry. I don't need nobody to cover me. I'm like, huh, you go, baby. You'll be back, but you go. You need covering. I don't know who I'm speaking to right there. I just throw that out. But I will tell you that it goes on. It says that he covered himself with the ephod and he cried out to God. Now, the thing that I realized, first of all, is David was a type of Christ. David occupied three offices. He was the only one to do it. It was the office of a prophet, the office of a priest, and the office of a king. He composed psalms as a prophet. He wore an ephod as a priest, and he held a scepter as a king. This is a picture of the New Testament believer. The prophetic, the priestly, and the kingly are all dimensions of a life in Christ. 
What are you saying? I'm saying that there are those of you sitting here that God wants to give you more than you're experiencing. He wants you to walk in a greater authority as being the priesthood of believers. He wants you to be able to prophesy the things that God has called you to do and called you to become. So who today wants to have your authority restored? I know that everything that has been done that causes trauma, as I said, it's not always God's plan and carnality and flesh can come. But what I realize today is God is declaring a word of restoration and that we have the ability to recover and to be restored in our life. And I believe it can happen in our marriage. I believe it can happen in our children. Some of you are sitting here and you're grieving over your children. You're, you're grieving over a marriage that has been lost. You're grieving over certain matters that have happened in life. But I tell you, if you can get a fresh word from God and hear what God is trying to say into your ear and begin to walk out the word, it may not happen overnight. But if you will be obedient and God spoke it, he is good to his word. Oh, God, help us. Yes, there are assignments that the enemy sets out, and there are some of you who know that very well. But God is still not short concerning his promises towards us. Many lives are victimized by perverse effects of culture and the brokenness of this world. But listen, I believe this ministry is going to become a haven for people to run to in these last hours to get healing and restoration. But the only way that that can happen is if we are healed. The next thing is that restoration after trauma will require you to reorient your vision. I love your vision to love like God, serve like Jesus, and impact with the Holy Spirit. But what does that really mean? After going through trauma, many of us will no longer be the same person that we once were. Some for better. You know, you've heard the expression, I think Joyce Myers coined the book, Don't Get Bitter, Get Better. We want to be better as a result of the pain and the traumas that we go through in life. But yet I've seen it for many people, rather they're never the same. They walk around with their hand out. I'll never let anybody close to me again. You'll never do that to me. Matter of fact, I really sense this too, praying this week. There are some of you who've made decorations and vows saying certain things. I was hearing it in the Spirit. You might think, well, you're an odd bird. I can't help it. I just hear what I hear. I heard some things in the Spirit. People would say, they'll never do that to me. That'll never happen. I'll never let the church do that. I want to tell you today, it's time to even cut off and then repent over some vows that have been made in your own heart against somebody else or against the person or even against a man of God. I would tell you today that God wants to do a work in you, but sometimes you have to get rid of the stuff in order for God to get into where you're at and get into the space for him to heal you. I made a statement, and I've probably said it a hundred times to our leaders, hurting people hurt people. But hurting people who become healed people can become powerful people who understand better the culture and understand the harvest when they come in hurting, they know how to go and minister to them like no one else because they become wounded warriors. How many wounded warriors do we have here today? 
You've gone through some things, but God had been faithful to get you through it. Is it just possible that that experience wants to be used to touch somebody else's life? God wants to give a new vision. He wants to give a new dream. And when we begin to talk about this area of reorienting our vision, God is doing something new today. God is trying to get us in a mindset. We cannot lose heart. I love the scripture in your pastor's office. I, you know, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's no doubt that David could have lost heart in those moments. He could have said, I can't do this. But I really believe when we begin to reorient our vision, and I declare to you by the Spirit that God wants this Pulaski Church of God to be a house of restoration. He wants it to be a place where people are being restored in their marriages. He wants it to be a place. You talk about wanting revival and a move of God. It's Thank God for the move of God. Thank God when people are slain in the Spirit. Thank God when there's tongues and interpretation. But it's more than just that. It's people who are broken and living lives. That, outside these doors who come in and some of you were those people at one time that God turned you around and he brought about a miracle in your life is it okay if he does that does he have your permission you say well he don't need my permission no he needs your obedience some people have that well let's do whatever they want to do no let me ask the question are we trying to do what God is wanting us to do or not? Now, I'm going to go back home in a few minutes, have dinner after church, and enjoy the fellowship with my kids and with your pastor and his wife. But I'm not going to leave being disobedient this morning. I don't, I, I'm, I've been in the state a long time. When I was a young pastor, one of my very first prayer conferences that I attended was in the old church. I was just a kid preacher over in Independence at that time. And I remember sitting in the balcony of that church. It was full and all that. And, of course, there was that thing. Well, this is the church. And it was the church at that time. I remember that. And I don't know why I'm saying this. Only by obedience that I'm saying this. Some of you look back and you are so grateful for all that God done in those days. I was grateful for the impact that this church has had in the state of Virginia. But you hear the voice of this preacher today as he comes through to tell you, you have not yet seen what God is getting ready to do in the weeks and the months and the years to come if you will allow God to heal you and become a funnel for him to pour his presence and glory through to bring about his will and purposes. Somebody just needs to lift your hands towards heaven and receive that because God's getting ready to do something in some people's lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. As they were worshiping this this morning, and Pastor Tony was leading them into the presence of God and the team, man, I, I was I was just like, do you really realize what you have? Do you realize? You can't just walk into any church and experience what you experience 
And if we're not careful, we will take it for granted. The last point I want to make is God has a purpose in trauma. He may not have caused it, but he still has a purpose. And his purpose for trauma of life is always restoration and a victorious end in mind. Let's just start our hands a moment. I, I just, I totally. Holy Spirit, I'm just overwhelmed right now. I, I just sense, I sense His presence in a way that He's He's coming down and He's encountering some of you that are just sitting there today. I declare that there are some spiritual giants that are in this house, that you are full of the Holy Ghost. And yes, it has been the traumas of life and it has been the difficulties and it has been things that have weighed you down and you've thought, no, I'm just tired, I'm not doing it again. But God is saying today, it's time again to rise up because I'm getting ready to use you in a greater measure than you've ever been used before. And I am getting ready to put this church back in a place and reposition it. And I'm getting ready to put the ephod of the priest back on the priest. And there is going to be an anointing that is going to prophesy out of this place that is going to bring about restoration in the power of Jesus' name. Yay! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Tony, come up and begin to play as God leads you. God wants us to be able to encounter Him, and yet He wants to enter into the trauma and the mess of our lives and in the middle of what's going on because God's desire is always for things to end up in victory. God, I remind you, the battle is not yours, says the Lord. It is His, and He can fight it a whole lot better than you fight. Some of you have been fighting some battles, some for months, some for years. Some of you are fighting, fighting battles in your jobs and fighting battles in your homes and you're thinking God I don't know how I'm going to get through this I just want to tell you maybe it's time for you to shift the responsibility out of your hands over into the hands of God and know that God is bigger to do what he can do a whole lot better than you but yet we've allowed fear to set in we're fearful I don't know if I can get through this I don't know how I'm ever going to get past this One of the opportunities that I've had the blessing of going to Israel several times. One of my favorite places in Israel to go is the place of Caesarea Philippi. It's a place where Jesus declared, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the thing I learned during those moments of going to some of the sites such as that one, but that was a site at the foot of Mount Hermon. It was the place where Basically, the waters of the Jordan, it was the headwaters. It was where the Jordan River began and began to flow toward 
the Sea of Galilee. It was the place Jesus had chosen to make a decoration. But what we don't know is in that place, it is a very dark place. There's a cave there. That cave is considered one of the gates of hell. It's almost a little eerie because you don't want to go up into that cave area. But it was a place in his day where the God of Pan had a temple there. It was the place that had some of those hideous, perverse sacrifices, sacrificing children and sexual sacrifices of women. Blood had dripped from that place into the Jordan River. Some of the most sick things that you could imagine happen in the temple of Pan. But that word pan is the same place and the same word we get our word panic for. Fear. It's a place of fear. It's a place. I want to tell you today, part of the pandemic that we're in has caused a greater fear and even a, a, almost a, a fear in the sense of it's quieted our voice. I'm afraid. But here Jesus steps into the place called Caesarea Philippi, no doubt pointing at that big hole and looking at that temple and saying something's getting ready to change at the headwaters. I want to stop right there and realize that anything that begins to change in your life and my life, it starts in the head. It starts in a change of mind. It starts with the choice. And here Jesus is saying in the headwaters, he said, something different's getting ready to flow, and I'm getting ready to declare something, that my church is not going to be defeated by the fear or the perverseness of this world, but the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this church or your family, but the power of God is getting ready to be deposited. Fear has to go. See, when we get traumatized, we become fearful. When we get traumatized, we begin to second-guess ourselves, and we lose our confidence. I guess I'm really not all that. I guess in seasons in my pastorate where I questioned my own confidence. When I started out as a young preacher, I wasn't one of them guys who went to seminary. I just, I just loved the presence of God and I just knew I needed God and I just started preaching in a little country church and like a lot of you have come out of I was uneducated and I was unlearned except I knew the power and the presence of God could do anything but I watched through the years how the trauma in the families that you serve and the trauma that happens in church the trauma sometimes that pastors and even leaders go through this week as I was trying to process this and I was I was saying God you know it's okay to be real transparent I mean I, I'm, I don't know I've just lost track of time so I'm, I'm going to try to hurry up I don't want to be disrespectful there's a lot of stairs in this place do I have to put my mask on or I'm okay? A little over a year ago, I resigned the ministry that I was in. Of course, your parents are there. I love you dearly. You mean more to me than you'll ever know. You're part of our family. 
the trauma of some physical things that have happened in my life and the trauma of some of the personalities and some of the trials that I went through in my ministry. I had done over 330 funerals in that church and I didn't want the 331st to be mine. Four campuses, stress of trying to manage the finances, stress of personalities and on and on. It never goes away, it's there, it's real. The last year I hit a wall I didn't even, I was struggling, struggling to even read. I was, my mind had gotten in a place. I'm just being real with you. I really feel I'm speaking today. Some folks, you've been through some things too, and you don't even know, you just never dealt with it, so you just moved on, but yet it affected you. It moved us. It moved us out of a place we didn't really realize. I had peace that I knew that was what I needed to do because I took a year off of ministry just as of November, December of last year, I went back in and started back into a process and went into ministry on a staff part-time. And now my heart is to go in and help pastors and churches and hopes the pastors won't have to go through some of the things that I may have gone through. Not to think I'm all that and bag of chips, as they say. But what I realized is that God, even as I'm standing here, what I realized is God will use the pain if we'll let him but he can't use a pain that has not been healed. And I'm not today come to try to peel off a place that there's a scar because some of you are carrying the scar. And Paul even said, I carry the marks of Jesus Christ, but he carried them literally through the beatings and the things that he went through. There's no doubt there was some trauma that he went through. Being stoned and drug out of a city at one point. And I've never preached a message on trauma before. I'd never, never even entered my mind until the Holy Spirit dropped that word in my spirit. I knew, okay, God, maybe the message is more for me than you today. If it is, then I'm going to say, heal me completely, God. But there are some individuals here, God is wanting to heal you. I don't know your life. I don't know your pain. But what I do know is he knows And I, I don't know that I even feel directed at this point just to have an altar call of those who say, I just, I just sense some of you, if you'll just close your eyes where you're at right now. Right where you're at, the Holy Spirit is going to minister to you. And I, I'm going to pray and I'm going to speak over you in the moment as the Holy Spirit leads. the Lord says, for how long, Lord? For how long? I've waited, but it has not happened. I've cried out, Lord, but have you heard my cries? But the Lord says, I have heard every cry, and I have seen your pain. And yes, I have even seen the shifting and the movings that is taking place. But I still have a plan. I still have a purpose and I still have restoration in mind towards you, says the Lord. For even this hour, I will begin a restoration within your heart and the places of woundings. You may think no one else knows, but I know. 
and it has caused you from receiving the best I have for you, says the Lord. For I say to you, if you will begin to admit and you will begin to live in my truth, will I not reveal to you a greater measure of what I am getting ready to do in you, in your home, and yes, even in this church. Says the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I'm asking this morning, as we sit and we pause, and we posture ourselves. If you just feel directed, it'd be okay just to lift your hands like in a receiving mode right now, just to position yourself. That I believe, Lord, you're speaking. Even as I'm talking, and there's some folks that are receiving a sensitivity of hearing and knowing you are present and you're at work right now. So God, I'm asking God that you would reach into some individuals. Individuals who have been wounded. I pray first of all, God, people who have been wounded in their marriages. <laughs> you said, I can't never trust again. I ask God, reach into that individual and do a healing. Families who have been wounded by perversion because of a loved one or a child or have chosen things that are not pleasing to you. Lord, right now, bring healing into them and allow, Lord, that healing, God, to be turned to love so that you can bring restoration in their home and in their children. I speak that, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for individuals who have been hurt by a friend, by somebody they love, by even somebody in the church. I ask today, Lord, that you would allow them, God, to have something that is an extension that they've never had, God, to begin to love and let go of something. Lord, right now I'm praying, God, that you're going to give some people the ability to cut something. Literally today, that something is going to be cut off their life. And right now, I speak the power of release. Somebody needs to speak that out of your voice right now. Would the church just say the word release with me? Release! One more time, say that. Release! So God, we release the pain. We release. It's not that we forget, but we forgive. <laughs> so God, as we posture ourselves in sitting, I just pray, Lord, let it rain. Just let, let peace, let healing, let restoration. Somebody just needs to breathe out. You just need to breathe out some stuff. You just take a deep breath in and say, I breathe in the glory of God and I'm, I'm exhaling some stuff. I'm exhaling some anger. 
there's somebody, there's not just one, there are several. There's some guys and gals here that there's anger. At times, anger outbursts come. You don't even know why you go off on your family. You don't know why you go off. God's saying, I want to enter into that place today. I want to heal you. I want to bring restoration in you. Maybe you're posturing yourself today and you don't know Christ and you're away from him right now. Boy, man, his presence is so real here. Right now, you just simply say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. I believe you're real. I need you today. Right now, receive him. So we receive restoration, Lord. Not half restoration, but full restoration. I pray, God, that full restoration is going to happen in this whole body. And it is going to start in the head of this pastor and his wife. Because there's been pain in their own lives, oh God. But I'm asking, that I'm asking Holy Spirit, God, that it is going to begin to flow, God. Lord, that it is going to begin to open doors for reconciliation. It is going to begin to open doors for a ministry, God. Lord, of greater reconciliation. And people are going to fall on somebody else's neck and are going to say, I am so sorry, forgive me. And healing is going to begin to flow. And miracles are going to begin. I say, let it be so, Lord. Let it be so, Father. And I pray, Father, those who are listening, God, whether they're sitting in their living room, Lord, let them know you are there. I am asking, Holy Spirit, you reach into their home. You reach into their life. And God, Lord, I'm believing that you're going to do a work of healing in their home and in their life today. In Jesus' name. But I pray last of all, God, you raise this church up, God. You begin to allow this church to rise up in the power of your anointing and the power of the mantle of the Holy Spirit again being placed upon this house. And the word will go forth in revelation and lives will be delivered and lives will be healed in the power of Jesus' name. Now would you, in closing, stand to your feet and lift your hands and begin to declare a shout in this house from your voice and your innermost being saying, Lord, you are, Lord, deliverer. You are, Lord, the Lord of restoration in my life. Lord, you are God. of this message I didn't get to finish it all but I just got to tell you the ending story after he got the word from God he told those 600 guys guys let's go they got down and they went a little ways to the brook of Besor when they got there 200 were too tired and too weary to go on but 400 of them went on and they went to the camp of the Amalekites and guess what they took back what the devil had stolen from them and they declared the victory of God. I'm telling you, we used to sing the old song, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what belonged to me. There's some of you today who need to take it back and say, devil, you're never getting it back because I'm going to hold on to the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah.
pastor. I got to quit. Can you just give the Lord a praise in this house today? Hallelujah.